My friends and I had always been really skeptical about the paranormal. Aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot. It all seemed like it was made up by a bunch of crazies. There's nothing going on in their lives. My family was always into the documentary stuff about aliens. Watching those shows on the History Channel, I couldn't stand it. As if there couldn't be a logical explanation for the buildings and events in history, other than that it was aliens. I suppose this skeptical perspective carried me into early adulthood, because my friends and I became popular YouTubers, going around debunking these stories. I like to think of myself as a director these days, creating my own documentaries about how utterly ridiculous all of these people are. That, and maybe cracking a few jokes. We certainly got some laughs in our comments section when people would listen to the most insane interviews. For our current project, we were heading to a small town near what is known as the Area 51 site, or military base. This town, in particular, basically lived off of the search for alien life, especially that life that allegedly crash-landed on Earth and was stored nearby. The fact that the base was restricted led to people truly believing that the government was hiding something. They probably were, but not aliens. We drove through the outskirts of town and were immediately hit with a bunch of tourist trap shops selling alien merchandise. Penny and Luke, my two friends along with me on this project, couldn't stifle their laughter at the absolutely ridiculous show that was being put on. These people were really laying it on thick, selling that alien abduction storyline to move their merchandise to anyone who would stop. I just shook my head, annoyed that this is really what people do with their time. Entire livelihoods based on the lie that aliens are among us, and people actually get floated up into the flying saucers. Completely ridiculous. We stopped off at our motel first to drop off our bags and get our camera equipment unpacked. I parked under a large flying saucer that had been constructed next to the motel's sign. The Flying Disc Inn, it read. I got out of the car and looked up at it, again stunned at the silliness of it all. A little on the nose, guys, don't you think? I exclaimed out loud. Emmy and Luke laughed while unloading their bags from the van. Not your style, Kevin? asked Luke. You could get a room over at that one if you like. He pointed across the street to another motel where several inflatable aliens with flailing arms were being shot into the air by blower fans underneath them. I scoffed at the sight of it, and Luke laughed again. Chill, man. They're just having fun, Luke said. Except that people actually believe this stuff because of it. Big groups of people trying to storm the military base. Why would they do that if not for all this fake stuff? I asked, maybe rhetorically. Luke shrugged and looked at Penny, who was still having a laugh at my expense. We all made our way to the main office to check in. The lady at the counter was polite, taking our payment and handing us our keys. I looked around the office while she worked. The inside was plastered from floor to ceiling with different UFO sightings, newspaper clippings, and some events in town. One caught my eye. A small convention center in town was having an event for exploring the paranormal. I pointed to the poster and asked the lady how we can get tickets to it. Oh, honey, you just go. They make all their money off the merchandise sold at the booths, she explained. Thanks for the tip, I said having trouble hiding my disdain. 
we unloaded most of our gear into the hotel room before discussing our next plan. I think we should go straight to that event. Looks like it's going on right now, and there's bound to be some people there we can interview, I said. Neither Luke or Penny had any objections to that idea. It seemed like the most obvious choice. We gathered only the equipment we would need to conduct interviews on site. The convention center was small. It was actually more like a small senior center that had been glammed up with every sort of UFO memorabilia that you could think of. We approached a table on the outside that had an elderly woman wearing a headband with antennae coming off of it. Explaining who we were and that we were making a documentary film about alien abduction, she jumped up and immediately showed us inside. We were introduced to several real-life alien abduction victims and told that their stories were irrefutable. Yeah, I'm sure they were. The first man we spoke to made a claim that the aliens abducted him in the early 80s. He had been taken into their spaceship, where they put an object in his leg that doesn't show up on any medical scans. Then an alien tried to convert him to their religion, some sort of pagan alien god that was responsible for creating the universe. And I told him, I can't read any of the words in this Bible thingy. They were in some kind of alien language, he exclaimed. Really? I asked. What do the words look like? Can you draw some of them for me? I asked. I, uh, I don't really remember them. Maybe, he said. You got abducted by aliens, and that isn't the most memorable thing in your life? I asked. Well, yeah, it was. Give me that pen, he said, getting a little flustered. The man took the pen from us and began tracing some squiggly characters on the piece of paper. Honestly, they looked more like he was drawing pigtails than any sort of real language. Wow, thanks, I said. That definitely looks authentic. Sure thing, the man said, trailing off and looking a little embarrassed. We thanked him for the interview and moved on. The next person we interviewed was a woman who said the aliens abducted her in the mid-90s. They put a chip in her brain that allowed her to read other people's minds. That's incredible, I said, trying desperately to hide my sarcasm. Can you read my mind? What am I thinking right now? The woman put her fingers to her temples and squinted her eyes. She seemed to be thinking or... I don't know, maybe scrunching her face really hard. She pointed at my face and made kind of a laser noise while clicking her tongue. You are curious about the unknown, she proclaimed, thinking you need to document the true stories being told here today. Amazing, I said. That's exactly what I was thinking. She seemed elated at the confirmation of her mind-reading powers. I thanked her for the interview and she returned to her booth to answer questions from other tourists. The last man we interviewed, I had to cut the interview short. He started his claim that a female alien started covering his body in a kind of jelly. Penny couldn't handle it and had to leave the room. Luke was beside himself, not really interested in keeping his laughter a secret. The man looked embarrassed and walked away. Dang it, Luke, keep it together, I said, annoyed but also laughing since the cards were now on the table. I'm sorry, Kevin, Luke said in between laughter, wiping some tears out of his eyes. They covered him in jelly? I mean, what? I propose that we wrap up the filming for today. 
given the amount of quality footage we had already taken. We met Penny outside, who was still laughing and shaking her head. Packing up the van, we made our way back to the motel to start some of the editing process. We were laughing all over again, listening to the stories that these crazy people had given. The jelly one had Penny doubled over on the couch in the motel room. Then, suddenly, a bang on the door made us all jump, snapping out of our humorous mood we were in. The bang came again. Someone was pounding on the door with their fist. I went to the door and opened it. It was a man in his forties, a spattering of stubble on his face wearing a baseball cap with a towing company logo stitched into the front. Can I help you? I asked when I saw the man. Need to talk to you, he said. We are talking, I replied curtly. The man grunted. Clearly he meant he wanted to talk outside, but I wasn't having that. No idea who this is, and I'm not going outside in case he wants trouble. I know who you all are, he said making videos of some of my neighbors, laughing at them. We're just recording their stories. They wanted to tell them. Nobody is forcing them to do anything, I replied coolly. You're representing yourself as a documentary. They think you're seriously trying to find something up there, he said, pointing up toward the sky. They don't think you're taping them to put them on the internet so you can make fun of them. We don't take kindly to people who just come out here to laugh at our expense. So what if I am? I asked. Again, nobody is being forced to do anything. I'm just putting their story out there in their own words. The man scoffed then, maybe taken aback by my bluntness. I didn't see any reason to hide my intentions from this person. He hadn't exactly come here to speak amicably, and this felt borderline like a threat. Tell you what, he said. You're looking to debunk all this stuff, right? That's the general idea. I confirmed. Well, there's a hill you should check out, about 40 miles south of here down the interstate, he explained. You should all go check it out tonight. Let me know if you see anything. Sure, whatever, I said as I motioned to close the door. Shouldn't be hard to miss, he said. Just keep an eye out for the signs. The man tipped his hat and turned as the door swung shut. I wasn't really intimidated in the slightest by this person. Far as I was concerned, this was just more ammunition for the documentary. Their stories are crazy, so they resort to threats to get us to stop telling the story. What do you think, Kevin? Luke asked. Back the guy is nuts, I replied plainly. No, no, of course that guy was nuts. I mean about checking out the hill, Luke went on. This is the whole reason we're out here. He told us to go look. We should. And then we could prove that's all made up, too. I couldn't argue the point. It was the whole reason we were out there, and it gave me an excuse to add the confrontation to the documentary. I agreed, and we made arrangements to have all the equipment ready for that evening. Penny went to the local store and grabbed some beverages, assuming we could take some video of the night sky and otherwise sit out and relax. We had plenty of chairs and even some camping supplies. We could get more done on the film and make a night out of it all at the same time. The van was loaded up and we headed down the interstate like the man said. At around the 40 mile mark, we did start to see signs like the man said. Only it was more of the same alien weirdness I saw in town. Several full-size alien cutouts had been erected along the highway. 
Another indicated a UFO viewpoint upcoming. I couldn't hide my annoyance as we drove along. Finally, we came to a turnoff to what would be a large hill. The gate had several no trespassing signs on it, which had been littered with bullet holes. The gate lock that had once kept it closed had been cut and left on the ground to the right of the latch. I got out and opened the gate, assuming this indeed had to have been the place the man was talking about. We drove up the dirt road, ever higher until we crested the top of a fairly tall hill. We could see out over the interstate for miles in every direction. I don't know about UFOs, but this was definitely a great spot to set up a camp and have a relaxing evening. I'll give him that. Penny got out first, excited to get the place set up. Luke was out with the camping chairs and set up a few places where our camp lights would go. Being more concerned about our primary task, the documentary, I found some good spots to take some video recordings and maybe some long exposure shots when it got dark enough. Quit worrying about that, Kevin. Relax, said Luke, opening a beverage. I'll be just a minute, don't worry, I said with a smile on my face. I finished up positioning some cameras before joining my friends. One in particular I had set up to take video of the night sky. Figured I could use some B-roll, and this was a perfect chance to get some footage of the stars. I joined my friends shortly after, happy that we decided to let off some steam this evening. Around 12.30 a.m., I went back to my camera pointing at the night sky. Penny and Luke were laughing and joking over in their camping chairs, music blaring into the night. I just wanted to make sure I was still recording. I checked the preview screen and saw that everything was still in order. However, when I looked at the image, a strange set of lights appeared on it for only the briefest period of time. They moved in unison, darting this way and that. I rubbed my eyes quickly and looked back at the screen, and they were gone. Unsure of what I just saw, I went to the van to look over the feed being live recorded into the hard drive. I rewound the footage and looked for the lights. I felt a hole in my gut as I confirmed I had not imagined them. I watched and watched, trying to figure out a rational explanation for the discovery. While I was in an infinite loop of watching and re-watching, the music and laughter outside the van suddenly silenced. The instantaneous silencing of activity made me turn my head. Had something happened out there? Peeking my head out of the back of the van, my jaw dropped as I saw Penny and Luke were no longer sitting, talking, laughing. Instead, they were standing straight up, arms to their sides, looking out into the distance as if they didn't see anything. I stepped out of the van and approached Luke. Luke, what's up? I asked. He did not respond. Just continued to stand there. I waved my hand in front of his face, but he didn't follow the motion. Penny, too. They had gone completely silent and rigid, as if they'd been turned into mannequins. A bright light suddenly shone down on all three of us. I shielded my eyes, trying to look up at what was generating the beam. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. There was a disc above us, spinning slowly and shining down on us from probably a hundred feet above. I suddenly felt the strangest sensation as my feet left the ground. Penny and Luke also started to rise up into the air, their heads raised up toward the craft. I looked up as well and spotted three small holes opening directly above us. Looking back at Penny and Luke, 
I too took on the mannequin posture, so to properly fit through the opening. I didn't think of what else to do. If I fell from this height, I would almost certainly die. I floated closer to the ship, taking in its smooth, metallic design. There weren't any seams or bolts. It was as if the entire ship had been cast as a single piece, a marvel of modern construction. I passed through the circular opening and into a small tube that led into the ship. As I emerged out the other end of the tube, I was met with the inside of what looked like a sizable lab, with three operating tables set up. Several machines were set up next to each bed, with tubes coming out at all angles. Several gruesome-looking, sharp tools were also set up neatly on a tray next to these machines. Penny and Luke were floated over to the operating tables and set down gently on top of them. I also felt myself feel gravity again as my body was rested onto the slab. Once I felt as if I was free from the energy that had lifted me, I got up from the table and rushed over to Luke. Luke! Luke, wake up! I said, urgently, but also trying to keep quiet. He did not stir, eyes staring straight upward, unblinking. I tried to rouse him again, but still he wouldn't come out of his apparent trance. Without knowing what else to do, I smacked him up the side of the head, which caused him to blink and shoot his hands up to where I had hit him. Ow, what the heck? He started to say, but I shushed him immediately. Look around, Luke, I said. Luke sat up in the table, rubbing the side of his head. He looked stunned to find himself in this metallic room, all the alien machinery around us. It's real, Luke. I saw the ship. We had to find a way out of here. Penny's here as well. I explained quickly. Luke looked over at the other surgical table and spotted her. He got up immediately and ran to her, completely bewildered at her dazed expression. Penny, he said, but she didn't stir. You were like this too, until I clocked you in the head. Maybe if we both try to shake her out of it, though, I said. I got on either side and both tried to snap her out of the trance she'd been put in. After about a minute of both of us trying to wake her, she blinked and looked over at Luke. What? Where are we? She asked. On some kind of ship, I said. It's real, Penny. I think we're in a UFO. Her jaw dropped, and she looked around at all of the unusual machinery that was positioned around her. Come on, I said. We need to find a way out of here. I moved around the room, but there didn't seem to be any sort of definable door or exit. Everything was smooth, like a metal surface, with no seams, just like the outside. I ran my hands along the walls until suddenly a low beeping noise came out of it. A light appeared on the surface of the metal, and it seemed to move a small porthole-sized piece out of our path. It was as if the metal itself just cut a hole all on its own, creating the opening that wasn't there before. I looked behind me to Luke and Penny, who were looking as if they were as stunned as they were when they were in the trance. I motioned for them to follow me as I passed through the opening. There were other open portholes to presumably other rooms on either side as we stepped out into a smooth metal pathway. I looked inside one of them and saw another operating table with a man on it. My heart nearly jumped out of my chest as a long, slender creature walked over to the man on the table, its long arms and legs moving in an unnatural motion. It almost seemed like it didn't have any bones or joints, but was able to stand just fine. It reached onto the tool tray and grabbed a sharp instrument. 
It carved into the man, opening up his belly. I had to hold back a gasp as I watched it open and reveal a strange-looking mechanical device, which had been implanted there. The alien reached in and began adjusting components on the metal contraption. As it did so, the man started to speak. They put something in my leg. Doctor scanning for it. Could never find anything, he said out loud to apparently no one. The alien made another adjustment to the device, and the man spoke again. Those aliens, they put a chip in my arm. The doctor found it, but then he went missing. Men in black, I'm telling you. They're all conspiring against me now. No one believes me, the man said. I moved up a little higher, trying to get a better look. I recognized the man. I had interviewed him earlier that day. The alien was adjusting a device that seemed to feed the story to his brain. Penny saw it too, and she let out an involuntary gasp. The alien turned suddenly, looking our direction. It had dark eyes, but no nose or mouth. It moved quickly over to the far wall and touched it with a six-fingered hand. A loud tone, much like an alarm, started to pulse through the ship. It was deafeningly loud, causing all of us to clasp our hands to our ears. The sound started to become incredibly painful, dropping me to the ground and into a fetal position. I started to black out then, overwhelmed by the assault on my senses. As my vision started to narrow, I saw the alien step over me, and then, blackness. I awoke some time later, jolting up into a sitting position and crying out. I was back on top of the hill, our van, cameras, and beverages from the previous night all where they were previously. Penny and Luke were to my left, still knocked out or asleep, I'm not sure. Getting up, I ran over to them, rousing them from their unconsciousness. Luke looked alarmed, and then around at the environment we found ourselves in. Kevin, the ship! How are we... What? He asked, nonsensically. I know. I woke up here too. It was the alarm, and then I was on this hill again, I said. Penny sat silently, shaking and bowing her head into her arms. Did it actually happen? Luke asked. I don't know. How could we ever prove? I trailed off and then realized something. Looking behind me, I saw the static camera I had set up the night before. I looked from it into the van and then ran to it as quickly as I could. I looked up at the live feed coming into the computer and recording to the hard drive. Only, there wasn't one. All of the footage, everything we had set up, deleted. Luke had followed me into the back of the van. Did we catch it on tape? He asked. No. And I swear I set this up. Did you mess with it? I asked, maybe more accusatorily than I intended. Nah, man, I just woke up. Other than the ship, we were just sitting out here having a good time. I never touched it, he said. Penny was there then, standing outside wrapped up in a blanket. I want to leave, she said. I think I've had enough. I looked at her then, understanding. I also felt a strong desire to pack everything up and just get out of here. In silence, we all began to bring everything back into the van. Our camping chairs, cameras, all of our equipment. We checked out of the hotel and then hit the road back home. Along the way, we passed the tow truck driver we had encountered before. He was helping someone on the side of the road get out of a ditch. 
We saw our van coming down the road and, putting up a hand to wave, smiled as we passed by. I'm not sure what happened to us. Everything about the abduction seemed very real, only, what were they doing to that man? I ran my hand over my stomach, wondering to myself. We were on the cusp of one of the most amazing discoveries ever, and we just packed up and left. No further investigation. I couldn't help it. The terrible thought that occurred to me. That maybe we were intended to do this. No. Programmed to do this. And if we were, what else might be lurking inside our bodies, invisible to any doctor? What else could they have programmed us to do, think, or say? <laughs>